Hello, 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 and welcome to yet another in the ongoing episodes of Random Song Encounters. Um, I'm your host, as usual, the one and only Gene Vincent, and this week we're coming to you once again from our mobile musical studio, just like the Stones Mobile, which we'll talk about later. In Mesa, Arizona, doing a little family visit for a couple of days before we head back to the so-called desert and uh, you know continue our uh, podcast work for the world. Um, we've got another great episode for you today, episode 15. Uh, we're pushing it out. And we're going to call it something very special, because it is. Um, We're really uh, excited. Can't wait for you to hear this one and what we have in store. So let's get right to it. And we're going to start out with a tune from 1990 by a band called Ultra Vivid Scene. We'll try it on the other side. See you then.
That's it, segment one for y'all, and that was a really cool one from start to finish, at least I think so. Hope you uh, all do as well. Let's go back to the beginning. Uh, we started off there with uh, Joy by Ultra Vivid Scene out of the UK. Their 1990 album called Joy, 1967 to 1990, which was their second LP. This is like a, a project of a guy named Kurt Rayski who produced, wrote, and performed all the songs on their debut LP, on his debut LP. He's another one of these folks uh, that, that does it all and then hires uh, session players to uh, perform uh, live with the band uh, when they do concerts. But uh, he basically is, is a one-man show. Um, the album was meant to be referenced as a tombstone inscription, Joy, 1967 to 1990, but uh, the album uh, package that came out doesn't really uh, show that kind of uh, uh, description or, or reference, so kind of a missed missed uh, opportunity there based on what he was intending to do. Uh, this per The particular song, this one, uh, Joy, was uh, also uh, unique in that uh, it included vo vocals by Kim Deal of Pixies and Breeders fame, um, so he's got that going for him on that particular tune. You can hear their hear her voice there in the uh, on the I think the chorus line in particular. Uh, Ultra Vivid Scene only released three LPs uh, between 1988 and 92, and that was the end of that. So on we go to the next track. We heard uh, One Two Three by Len Berry out of Philadelphia from his 1965 album by the same name, One, Two, Three, uh, which was his debut LP. He was uh, looking to do s something else in, the, in life, uh, and then he had joined the Coast Guard 
and started singing with the Coast Guard band. And they, uh, you know, he really enjoyed it, and they, uh, you know, suggested that he pursue a singing career. Uh, so right after he uh, got out of the Coast Guard, he started his own group uh, after being uh, discharged, called the Dovells, and then uh, eventually went solo in 1965. Um, passed away in 2020. Produced uh, you know a couple albums and uh, quite a few singles and uh, you know just a great track. It's it's one of those you know Philly soulfuls, R&B sounds, soundtracks uh, and I I really dug it so I thought I'd throw it in there for you. If you hopefully you've uh, you've heard it. If not, something new to throw out there for you. Next we heard uh, a little something on the new new side of things. Uh, a song called "I Hear the Axe Swinging" by Ghost of Room. From their 2020, I think it's one album, Ghost of Room 3, which is their third LP. This is a collaboration between Mike Doty, who we spoke about, I think, last week, uh, as part of the group Soul Coughing, uh, who's gone on to do lots of other, you know, collaborations and things on his own. And his longtime collaborator, Andrew Scrap, Scrap Livingston, uh, who's a cello player, among other things. Um, the album title itself refers to uh, what was planned originally to be a Soul Coughing companion album or piece uh, to their 1994 album called Ruby, Ruby Vroom, uh, which never came, never came to be. Uh, in any case, that's a, kind of a really cool track. Uh, he describes in the song uh, something about, uh, you know, she wore <laughs> high-waist boot cut 34-32, so uh, there you go. Uh, always, he's always uh, out there with uh, the lyrics, and uh, this one is uh, certainly no different from uh, some of the other stuff he's put out, but a really great track. After that, we went back to 1972 and a classic by Deep Purple out of the UK called Space Truckin' from their Machine Head album, which was their sixth LP. The song itself was inspired by the, you know, on... on Oddly, by the theme from the Batman TV show, there was a riff in the in the uh, tune that Richie Blackmore picked up on, and he cobbled it around, and then got with the group and said, "Hey, you know, can we get some lyrics to kind of go with this thing?" And they threw it together, and there you go, space trucking. Uh, for the album Machine Head, you know, it's it's infamous. Uh, it's the album they wanted to record in a kind of a stage environment to capture, instead of a studio, to capture more of a, their live concert sound. Um, they always felt that their studio albums didn't really sh give the full effect of what they were like to see live, and they wanted to do, to do something of that sort to try and pick up that sound. So they booked the Rolling Stones mobile studio and booked uh, the Montreal Casino, or Montreux Casino in Switzerland to record sessions. Uh, of course, the famous story is the uh, casino burnt down uh, a couple of days before they were due to start the recording session in there. Uh, the venue was going to shut down for the season. Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention performed the final show in the venue uh, before they closed it down. And a, a fan with a flare gun uh, set off a fire in the venue and burned it to the ground. And... Uh, Deep uh, Beat Purple had to go uh, 
find another venue to use for recording and at the end of the day the whole thing became the inspiration for their famous song you know smoke on the water and that's how they came about last but not least we heard we went back to 1958 i think it's the first time we've ventured into the 1950s uh and buddy holly with his song Ravon uh, from the 1958 album also debut uh, also called just Buddy Holly uh, the song is actually a remake of a, of a song the same year that was written and recorded by a guy named Sonny West uh, Buddy Holly recorded the same song later in the year uh, with his backing band the Crickets and it was actually one of six songs that he had charted on the top 100 in 1958 uh, unfortunately, Buddy only recorded three albums and around 20 singles uh, in his career before his untimely death, uh, actually like a year later, uh, due to the infamous uh, Iowa charter plane crash uh, after a show uh, there. So uh, I guess you know we missed out on a lot of what was to come from Buddy Holly and the Crickets, uh, but... Uh, you know, leaves beside, behind a legacy and uh, uh, a history that uh, a lot of bands have have used as you know, uh, uh, you know to end uh, it, you know, as for their moving forward and uh, copying uh, down the road. So with that, uh, I think that rounds it up for episode one. Let's. Uh, Move right into episode two and uh, something by the former Led Zeppelin vocalist. Let's go.
Bringing a smile to your dial. Great tune there. Let's, uh, well, while we're there, let's work our way backwards this time. Uh, that was Switchboard Susan by Nick Lowe from his 1979 album, Labor of Lust, his second solo LP. Uh, 
this goes back to, I think it was last week that we talked about uh, Dave Edmonds and his collaborations with Lick, Nick uh, Lowe and Rockpile and the whole issue with, you know, the record company and the separate contracts and them not even, not being able to perform as a group. So they basically performed on each other's records. So this is the other half of that discussion, Nick Lowe. Um, you know, he's, uh, between the two, they put out a bunch of great music. Um, like we mentioned last week, they were, they started out together and met, uh, when they were both in a band called Brinsley Schwartz back in the day. Uh, while he was in Brinsley Schwartz, Nick actually wrote the big Elvis Costello hit, What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding, and some other stuff. Um, in order to start his solo career and put out his first single, uh, he actually got a loan of about 400 pounds, whatever that, it, whatever that is in U.S. back in the day, from a guy, uh, Lee Brillu from Dr. Feelgood, who we played way back in one of the early uh, episodes of the podcast, uh, to produce, produce his first single. So that's how he got, uh, got things rolling. Uh, before that, we heard Break by the Cinematics, uh, another one of those obscure bands that we like to showcase here on Random Song Encounters, uh, out of Scotland, uh, from their 2007 LP, A Strange Education, which was also their debut. Uh, the song itself features a guest appearance by, um, most of you probably don't know of him, but a guy named Chris Kane, who's in a band called We Are Scientists. Um, the band only put out two LPs before breaking up in 2011. Uh, they were in the midst of recording their third LP when the band broke up and it's never uh, surfaced or anything like it. So, uh, you know, not likely we're going to hear anything from them unless one of the members of the band's band uh, pulls it together and puts something out. Prior to that, we went back to 1977, a song called Something Very Special by Gary Wright out of the L.A. area. Uh, his 1977 LP, Touch and Gone, which was his fifth solo LP. Uh, the album itself was only recorded with keyboard instruments other than drums and percussion, which was kind of his, his deal back in the day, uh, a lot of keyboards. He's most famous for the song Dreamweaver, who you're a, lot of heard, a lot of you have no doubt heard of. Uh, he got his first big, big break in a band uh, called Spooky Tooth, back in the 70s as a singer and a keyboard player. Uh, along the way, he befriended George Harrison of the Beatles and played keyboards on his uh, on virtually all of George's solo LPs in the 1970s. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, Gary Wright just actually passed away in the last couple of months in September. So, um, you know, this, this is the thing about, you know, critics. Uh, this this LP touching on was panned as being you know like a, he was trying to remake his big LP Dreamweaver and songs sound a lot alike and he was just trying to you know got back in the studio and just tried to recreate that and instead of trying to move forward with something new was, and it's like it doesn't make any difference what what critics say critics don't know anything they're just they're just you know putting out BS so that you know try and make their their selves sound sound important if the music is good and you like it. So be it. That's all there is to it. And this particular LP, it's a good LP. There's nothing wrong. The songs are good. 
I don't have any problem with him trying to, to recreate something or a, a similar sound. Uh, critics will always pan for, you know, oh, bands trying to, you know, or go in a different direction and they're making new kind of music from what they originally, and then the, the, the fans will say, well, well, we don't like that. We like the old style, like we talked about in The Cure a couple of weeks ago. Uh, they tried to make a more fun album and the, the fans wanted, you know, still wanted that goth stuff. So you, you, can't, you can't win or lose either way. So in this particular case, it's a great song uh, off a good album, and, uh, you know, so be it. Uh, we started off back in the beginning with the infamous or famous lead singer of Led Zeppelin, Robert Plant, who no doubt you recognized immediately when you heard his voice, his song, Hurting Kind, I've Got My Eyes on You, from his 1990 uh, solo LP, Manic Nirvana. It was his fifth solo LP. Um, the thing about this is when Led Zeppelin broke up in, 19, in the 1980s or so, uh, 1980 I think it was, as a matter of fact, he was intending to drop music altogether and pursue a career in teaching. And he actually was accepted for training uh, to be a teacher in 1980. But... Uh, you know, he had some some alternative encouragement from Phil Collins, uh, most you know, vehemently uh, from Genesis, and decided to go ahead and give a solo career a shot in 19 and in 1982. And you know, he's still doing it today. And he's got all kinds of collaborations and different groups that he's working with. Most recently, Allison Krauss and so on and so forth. So, you know, thanks to Phil Collins for uh, talking some sense into Robert Plant there. So there you go, segment two. Down and out, and we're going to move right into segment three, the last segment of the day, and a song by Lightning Seeds. Let's go.
Lies, lies. Uh, and there we have segment three, ending episode 15 this week. Uh, let's go back to the start and see where we covered in segment three. Started out with Pure by the Lightning Seeds out of the UK off their 1990 LP Cloud Cuckoo Land. Uh, the band was originally a solo project for vocalist, guitarist, producer, guy named Ian Browdy, or Broody. Uh, he was originally, or more f- at the time, more famously known as a producer for bands like Echo and the Bunnymen, Wall of Voodoo, and The Fall. And uh, he began recording his own songs under his own na- uh, the name The Lightning Seeds in 1989 at the suggestion of some other folks that said should give it a shot. Um, the band name Lightning Seeds is mistakenly taken from the, the lyrics of a Prince song, Prince song who you, you all may know called Raspberry Beret. Uh, the lyrics actually go, thunder drowns out what the lightning sees. And he mistakenly heard that as lightning seeds and hence the group was born. So there you go. Uh, the other crazy thing about this particular song, Pure, is it's the first song Ian had completely written and song and sung ever, so uh, quite a, a deal for first uh, first song out there in the public. Let alone uh, first time he's ever gone in th- front of a microphone singing uh, on a record. Secondly, we heard from you all know Kiss. I'm sure you uh, recognize that tune back from 1974, Strutter, out of NYC off their debut LP, KISS. Uh, everybody knows KISS rose to prominence in the 70s with their shock rock style performances featuring, you know, the fire breathing, blood spitting, pyrotechnics, levitating drums, uh, face paint, and costumes. Uh, but in spite of all that, uh, you know, gimmickry, uh, they've had a, a just a ferocious following, following especially once they started performing live, uh, their fans just just loved the live show and continued to support them for years and years and years and years. Uh, they have 30 gold albums, more than any U.S. band. Um, most of the songs for this particular album, their debut album, were written by the two leaders of the group, Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons, while they were members of a pre-Kiss band called Wicked Lester. So when it came time for Kiss to put out their first record, they already had these songs in hand, and it only took them a couple of weeks to put the get the record recorded and, and ready to go out. Um, Kiss was actually one of the first 
early concerts that I went to see when I was growing up in San Diego in the in the 70s, uh, and you know I saw their <laughs> saw their album at a record store, said hey, I got to try this thing out. It looks it looks uh, interesting, and sure enough, it was it's a great uh, debut LP, and they put on uh, as as uh, you would expect and now know they put out a, a great live show at the time which is you know obviously as i mentioned before what won their fan their fan base over um, they're actually supposedly on their farewell tour at this point in time they just passed through here uh out in the desert a couple days ago and i think they're gonna end up in la somewhere i'm not sure but uh, like i say supposedly kiss is coming to a close uh here in the next, uh, whatever, six months. Next we heard, uh, we, we down, and we kind of slowed it way down and got a little funky with a, a track from 2011 called Hold On, Hold On by a guy called, who calls himself Subtract, but he, he spells it S-B-T-R-K-T uh, out of the UK. Uh, his 2000 LP debut LP is all is also goes by the same name. His his real name is Aaron Jerome, and he's kind of a DJ and remixes songs. And he's done that for the likes of MIA, Radiohead, Basement Jacks, Mark Ron, Ronson, and Underworld. Uh, this particular song is a collaboration with uh, someone he d works with frequently named Sampha. Uh, who does some some vocals and keyboard work? Uh, he uses this subtract project title to kind of support his anonymity, uh, so he can let the music speak for itself and make it about the music and put it out there. And do you like it? Do you don't like it more than you know having and focus on you know him personally and what he is and who he is, and so that's his way of of uh, trying to. To let the music speak, um, I actually got a chance to see him in, in live at Coachella back in uh, 2012. Uh, you know, if you've been to Coachella, you know on their website they'll usually, uh, as it's as it's building, they'll put out uh, set lists or not for set lists, but uh, track lists uh, that you can listen to on their website uh, of the, all the bands that are going to be there, so you can decide who you want to see, who you don't want to see, based on some of the songs that they uh, that they have and I actually heard this one when, when I was kind of scrolling through and because uh, I had never heard of them before and heard this song and said hey I gotta see these guys so went and saw them uh, you know a uh, little downbeat for me overall but this particular track is is crazy good and, and uh, really liked it and wanted to play it for you next open up your eyes is what we heard by tonic out of LA from their 1996 LP Lemon Parade, which was also their debut. Uh, the band originally wanted to name themselves Radio Flyer, but uh, in doing a search, legal search, they found out that that name was also taken, so Tonic was their backup name, so that's what they ended up with. Um, they're still out there periodically pursuing, uh, you know, putting out music uh, while they're, when they're not pursuing other projects, uh, solo and otherwise, uh, so they're still floating around, but uh, great track by them. Uh, uh, just ran across that one recently again, and uh, uh, my ears, you know, lit up and said, "Yeah, something we got to put on the show." Last but not least, we went back all the way back to 1966 and heard "Lies" from the Knickerbockers out of New Jersey off of their '66 third LP, also called "Lies." 
the track is itself is famous for being mistaken as a as a Beatles song because there's so much in the way of similarities in the style and the harmonies uh, and musically and uh, you know instrumentally and otherwise uh, it's it just if you didn't know you would think it was it was the Beatles but uh, nope it's the Knickerbockers um, they actually took their name from uh, a street in New Jersey Knickerbocker Road which runs through a, an area called Tenafly New Jersey which uh, I I've, have no idea where it is but that's the story as it goes um, the track was actually cut at Sound City Studios, I think it is in L.A., but uh, they weren't happy with it, and they, they actually ended up going to Leon Russell's Hollywood Hills home. Who, Leon, we've all the way back to, to episode one, we've talked about and his you know impact on the, on other acts uh, through his re- history, and uh, so they they took the track to his Hollywood Hills home, uh, and worked with him on adding vocals and a new, overdub overdubbed guitar part to give it a little more edgy feel. So there you go. That's uh, the show for today. So let's close this one out. Hope you all enjoyed episode 15 that we put together for you today. Uh, Had a great time putting it together for you uh, you know we're uh, in Mesa this week Mesa Arizona we're going to be back in the in the so-called desert next week to bring you episode 16 uh, so appreciative that you take the time to listen to us and hope you're uh, enjoying what we're putting out there again if you have any suggestions or, uh, musically or otherwise to make the show better please feel free to drop me a line. There's a way to do that uh, through Spotify. and Or if you, I'm sure you have my email, you can do that as well. But uh, again, really appreciate you following along and look forward to bringing you another show next week. And in the meantime, like, say, uh, like we always say, continue to share the good stuff, and we'll see you soon. Take care.